Bones are amazing things. They hold us up. They support us. They make us strong. But bones have other uses. In the past, bones were thrown by diviners, seeking out the mysteries of the future. Now the bones are cubes, made of plastic or resin, but they still reveal things to us. As they fall from our fingers and rattle across the table, the story becomes clear. Welcome to Bone Thrower's Theater, an RPG actual play podcast. Hello and welcome to Bone Thrower's Theater. It is time for a commentary episode for our uh, one-shot special of Fate Accelerated, the 2600 Club. I'm Jordan. I'm Johnny. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jeff. And I'm Aaron. And you guys... <laughs> Sounds so defeated. <laughs> <laughs> so I really want to have one last thing at the very end where Eugene goes... She listen to my paw and never trust them over there. Those <laughs> <laughs> townies. So the title of the one shot was the Twenty Six Hundred Club, and Aaron keyed in on what that was supposed to be pretty early on. Yeah, I, w- yeah. I wouldn't have got that. No, and the only reason I know is because there's a quarterly magazine called Twenty Six Hundred, the Hacker Quarterly. That's a tech-related magazine from the '80s. Phone freaking was what it was called yeah uh hacking the phone systems yes. yes i just read a book called exploding the phone which was all about phone freaking okay and so the the premise of the story was that there was a freddy cougar style serial killer who was killing teenage phone freakers over the thing and then it, it evolved into a cult that was trying to move into this town to take it huh. over and then the book mentioned a town, I think it, it's in Tennessee, I think it's called like Oak Grove or Oak Mountain or something like that. Both of those are in Tennessee, yes. Yes. <laughs> and it's literally a town that was started in the 1940s as a secret city for the Manhattan Project. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, okay. And they, it was also big on phone freaking because it was one of the few remaining call exchanges that could be phone freaked. Okay. So it actually became like a major place for freaks to go and live and stuff like that. My original idea was to have you all being students in the school for the blind, uh, but then I decided that would be even harder to GM. <laughs> what do we see? Nothing. Crap, I keep forgetting I'm blind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It would have been a very interesting experience, but it would have been hard to do. So I settled on you all being students in a regular school, and the intention was that you were going to try and solve the death of James and Faye and get hooked up with the local phone freaking group that's called the 2600 Club. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah, we didn't go there at all. No. No. Definitely not. Well, it's by chance how we decided to answer those questions at the beginning. Yes. So, which tailored all of our characters to be these kind of aggressive, mm-hmm. thuggish, brutish, physical characters. Well, I thought that, like, with his interest in young ladies, Barry would be uh, trying to go and console Marie. Mar- Marie, but then you went as well, and so it was like, so oh, well, I- this could play pretty well, and I-, I tried to lay some breadcrumbs, and they got ignored. So I'm assuming James was a member of the 2600 James was the president of the 2600 Which is what we were supposed to find out early on, is somehow. Okay. Because, well, if it had got, got to his funeral... 
then uh, Roy was going to place a Captain Crunch whistle on his gravestone. Which, I think we were off air when we talked about the Captain Crunch whistle. I guess, is it technically photo freaking what they did in Hackers? Yeah. Yeah. Some of what they did. The movie, yeah, yeah, Hackers, and then also uh, they used the Captain Crunch whistle tone uh, reference in Ready Player Two as well. So. And, well, so the, the audio that you heard, I'll read off the list of noises because they were backmasked. I wanted to try and pull in as many, like, satanic panic tropes into the story as, mm-hmm. as possible. So, like, the Green Star cult was based off of two things. It was based off of Manson's because Manson was a doomsday cult. The family was a doomsday cult. But then Green Star is a real program that AT&T ran for about seven years in the 60s and 70s, where they literally recorded thousands of phone calls. And mm-hmm. so so Jerome Stewart, was the concept was that he was actually a disgruntled AT&T employee who had left, and he had been on the Green Star project, and he named his cult after that. Huh. So yeah, there was a lot of... Academics that went into this. But anyway, the list of horror noises. <laughs> none of it got used. Yes, none of it got used. This, it's probably one of the deepest research games I've done. <laughs> I don't know, but before you read that list off, even though none of that stuff got used, I still like the dynamics of our characters. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. It was oh, yeah. fun. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It was yeah. Fun. So first was Mr. Watson, come here. I want to see you. We never used that sound. That is actually the first words transmitted over a telephone. What hath God wrought, which was the first words transmitted over a telegraph. Blue box, red box, black box, beige box. The star is green and it burns low on the horizon. A green star reference. John Draper is closest to God. His tone is true. John Draper was the freak who figured out that you could use a whistle. Mm-hmm. And he became known as Captain Crunch. That is followed up by the next phrase, which is Captain Crunch's Waving Farewell, which is a nod to a rock and roll song. <laughs> mm-hmm. Berkeley Blue has eaten his apple. Berkeley Blue is the pseudonym that Steve Wozniak used because he was a phone freaker who was actually generating blue boxes. He would leave notes like the What Hath God Rot note inside his blue boxes. So what you all found in the woods was a, was supposed to be a Berkeley Blue blue box huh. that the Green Star cult would be using to hack, trying to hack into the, the system. Mm-hmm. They look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside they're filled with bones or scripture. Please put Olympus on the line. 6329999. Uh, that's a phone number that was used for calling um, control. Like, if you needed uh, assistance, you could call that, and the operator would help you. Crossbar, pulser, click, click, click. Pulse bars and pulsers are different kinds of phone connections. Uh, We are government-organized monopoly, meaning AT&T. And then, history lesson, AT&T ran Project Green Star from 1964 to 1970. Uh, It was a predecessor to that was Project Shamrock, and Project Shamrock is the grandfather of surveillance. Hmm. Eat your breakfast, find the key to the frequency. The Bernays are going to take over the world. The Bernays were a uh, subgroup of phone freakers, like Hmm. basically a freaking collective. Audubon is one step away from bringing the world down. Audubon is the, the phone that I mentioned at the end with a whole bunch of extra buttons. It was the military's special phone system. If the blue box brings you time and space, what brings reality? 
That's a Doctor Who reference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Talesis West, 9X South. Different phone companies after AT&T was broken up in the early 80s. And then the Illuminatus Kisses the Black God. Just thought it sounded cool. <laughs> so yeah, those were the, the horror noises that got played in different parts mm. whenever you guys were speaking on the phone with members of the Green Star Cult. I had fun with the cars in this mm-hmm. because it was fun to look up cars that would have been era appropriate. Yes. Yeah. I thought that was interesting as well. Um, Jeff and Aaron, you, you guys immediately latched onto the car. I was like, what? why are you guys latching onto the car? Because it was something about the character. We were introduced to this character, James, that none of us knew anything about him. So it was like, all right, what about him? What do I like about James? His car. His car. James has a nice car. And then Jordan kept describing cars. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> so the, the Datsun was always supposed to be in the game as like cult members following the, the group. People around. loved Datsuns. Yeah. Huh. Cheap. Okay. I need to do some more research on this, but I think Datsun is actually somehow related to Nissan. It is. Yeah. Split off into Nissan. Okay. Anyways, back, I really like the dynamics of these characters. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah. I, I, I love these two. I love uh, Those and, two were great. And then if there was going to be an award for role-playing, I definitely would give it to Johnny. Because, oh <laughs> yes. my gosh, there's so many times where I was like, as a player... Like, wait, what did he just say? And then he's like, oh, that's in character. So yeah. Silas is like, say that again, Eugene? <laughs> yeah, that was great. Mm-hmm. There was a character named Eugene in the in my notes. <laughs> nice. Eugene Wright, the AT&T special <laughs> investigator. Yeah, you guys zagged so hard. <laughs> Well, I mean, these, I'm sorry. these characters were great. I you, mean, you put me, oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Put me in Tennessee Mountains, I had to be a hillbilly. So, I was going to comment. There's actually a, uh, a movie, it's a documentary, that explores hillbilly perception in media and where that hillbilly persona uh-huh. came from. It is, it's pretty good. Uh, it's very similar to the idea of the rednecks, because rednecks in the original Rednecks near? No. <laughs> you did hear rednecks, yeah, right? I did, yeah. <laughs> so rednecks in Appalachian culture yeah. comes from the idea of coal workers, mm-hmm. because they were pro-union, and to, to be as an organizing thing, they would tie red bandanas around their necks. Yeah. Hmm. So basically, you weren't a redneck if you were a union buster coming in to work the coal mines. Yeah. And so it's like it became a thing to kind of denigrate like this idea of organization of workers. Huh. So and then it was such a success as a smear campaign that we still use redneck today as a bit of a slur against people who we consider to be hillbillies or mm-hmm. lesser and, and culture. More or less, that's what the documentary went into about the hillbilly culture was yeah. the same idea. Right. And then it veered political for the rest of the, sure the yeah. documentary. I, I just, I know enough that there's old, old back mountain folk that... Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and knowing your, your taste in music and where you would prefer to live, I can totally understand oh, that. But it's a very interesting dynamic because you literally have a town that was made for the Manhattan Project in the middle of tennis, like the Tennessee Mountains. Mm-hmm. And they literally built there because there's a low population density in the first yeah. place. But the people who are already there probably had a lot of things to say about it. Yeah. 
And so when you were talking about like knowing everybody in town, I'm like, oh, well, that's perfect. His parents probably were some of the first workers. Can't trust in them the over there. Yeah. yeah. We were brought in as part of the plant. So whenever I've run Fate Accelerated before, it's been as one shots. I once did a space opera game based off of the anime Space Dandy. Hmm. Okay. Which is a lot of fun. Um, but it was great because it was a, basically a dungeon crawl through a space station where there were all sorts of Japanese yurai and yokai as ghosts and demons and stuff. That's kind of cool. cool. Yeah. My favorite one was the mildew liquor. <laughs> <laughs> you turn a corner and you come into a bathroom and there's a, there's just a random monster licking mildew off the walls. And people were like, nope, nope, not going in there. <laughs> <laughs> not the liquor made from mildew. No. There's a monster licking mildew. Yeah. Yeah, so I did that game. And then I did a wild, a weird West game that Johnny, Jeff, and Jeremy all played in. And it was weird. It was weird. It was very entertaining, though. Very entertaining. It was very entertaining. And I've done a few other ones, but this was my first attempt at horror with fate. <laughs> the dice helped. The dice yeah. helped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you guys were rolling bad. Yeah, we were. And the one thing I'm still not 100% understanding is how you build and decide what a success is. And that, yeah, because you mentioned from the there's some guidance that talks about the that you adjust the success based on the approach, yeah, and the person's yeah. score on that approach, yeah. So, if that's the case, I mean, doesn't matter what your approach is, if it like if it's a set two above whatever your approach is, it doesn't matter what you it's a rule of thumb. So, okay. basically, if the task isn't very tough at all, give it a mediocre or just tell the player they succeed without a roll. And that happened several times tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, if you think, if you can think of at least one reason why the task is tough, pick plus two. If the task is extremely difficult, pick plus four. If the task is possibly difficult, go as high as you think makes sense. Plus four. I was kind of following those guidelines. Okay, you were going, but you were going above what our yes. setting was. Yeah. Not plus two as the target. So an op- optional rule is called approach-related target numbers. Okay. And that is my default approach, yeah. unless I want it to be more difficult or mm-hmm. less difficult. The GM may wish to adjust the target number up or down by one or two, depending on whether or not you choose a fitting or a problematic approach. This makes things a bit more complex, but for some groups, it's worth it. I don't know about making it more complex. It actually, even though we didn't see it, I think that way of doing it made it easier for us to hit the target numbers but we just didn't. It makes it more yeah, complicated. Rather yeah. than if you needed a plus five, there was, there was one, one that yeah. got a plus five, and that's because I used my stunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, it's more complex from a GMing perspective because if he has a plus one, then the difficulty is plus three. If right. you have a plus three, your difficulty is plus five. Right. So from my perspective, it's very difficult to bounce the numbers. Yeah. But then once we understood that that's what you're going with, we are like, okay, we succeed, we fail, just because yeah. we knew we'd be rolled. Because right. we knew we, we needed yeah, a plus two on the dice. dice. and you see what the dice say. But also, I kind of tipped it in your favor by telling you that, that yeah. at the beginning. Yes. Yeah. If, if I had just been like, okay, what's your th- approach? Yeah. What's your number? You probably wouldn't even notice I was um, doing it. We might have noticed once we got to the skills challenge, because we would have noticed a shifting uh-huh. target. target. Um, Especially because when we do open D6, I set a standard target. Right, and that's what we would have asso- assumed was right. the case. Yeah, yeah. So I did not do everything perfectly today. I should have been much better on compels. 
That's what allows us earn fate points. Yes. Compels lets you earn fate points. Which, if you think about it, at the end, even though it was going to be the end of the story anyway, that thing that Silas did probably should have earned him a fate point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Where uh-huh. he stole the knife from George and ran down the hallway. Because yes. literally that encompassed all three of his aspects. Yeah. He's not a team player. He interjects with physical confrontation, and he, he's looking out for everybody else. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I had been better about making sure that compels were happening instead of just invokes, then it would have been a lot easier. But also, that kind of feeds into the keeping the economy deflated. Yes. And yeah. I think for our play style as players... We are very good at compelling ourselves to do things. Right. Yes. Even though, as a player, this doesn't really make sense to do, but as my character, this is what they would do. And, yes. and that's actually something that they talk about is that you can compel yourself. So you can say, I'm going to do something that's against the thing. And then if I had remembered, yeah. I could have given you that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, as a player, that didn't make much sense for Silas to do that. No. But no. as Silas, that made perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's a difference between compel and invoke. Invoke is you get the bonus from it, and compel is you're doing it because right. this is what your character would do, um, which gives you a future bonus. So, I like the stunts. Yeah. Although, for a one-shot, it would be nice to have at least maybe another stunt that you could use, rather than just the one. Standard Fate allows up to three stunts. Mm-hmm. Especially since you can use it only once. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would so. normally give you three from the very beginning if I was doing convention one. I think I remember you doing three for yeah. Weird West. I would have given you all five aspects and I would have given you three stunts as well. Um, so it would have been much more fleshed out characters. Also, you, the refresh would have been at three, so you would have had three fate points. So that would make things a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I didn't. I wound up not using it because you guys were rolling so horribly. But I went into the Fate Horror Toolkit book, which is a really good read, and I found this optional rule called Failure with Style. If a character rolls at least, we did that a lot. Yeah, I know that's why I didn't. Uh, yeah, I don't it. think we didn't not fail with style. If a character rolls at least two shifts less than their opposition, they fail with style. They gain a free invoke on an aspect of their choice, or they can remove. Free invoke of their choice. So I'm like, oh, we saw, invoke left and right. I know when I saw so how we, bad the dice were, I'm like, I'm not. I'm we not we actually might have survived. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we would have failed our way to survival. <laughs> hey, all right, that would have been pretty awesome. Like that yeah. would have been. <laughs> There's a lot of executives that do that. Yep. Hey. And people who work in the government and uh, and mystery men and <laughs> yeah. A lot of a lot of game masters fail their way to the top. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, you roll nothing but sixes. <laughs> That's not failing. I actually, I was rolling pretty horribly tonight too. I had like one roll that was a minus. He two. was rolling pretty bad today. So, uh, going back, and I've been listening to the start of the podcast. Yeah. Again, Terra Proximus, and from the start. It has been consistent. Jeff rolls horribly. Jordan rolls very well. Well, at least I'm consistent. <laughs> at least we're both consistent. And Jordan is consistent. Too. I would, I'm we not. wish Jordan were not. <laughs> My rolls are very inconsistent. I think part of the issue is I don't roll half as much as the rest of you. I, I don't rely on dice no. as a GM. I don't think I've ever really relied on dice unless it was a combat situation. Yes, but I'm remembering the combat of Terra Proximus specifically. Ah, 
and it was just nothing but, oh, I have to re-roll sixes every single roll for every single combat roll. And it was like, what is going on? Every player at the table was like, come on, really? And not only that... Would you I... roll to hit? A 38? Was... Would you roll the, to dodge? An 8? <laughs> that was the start of his red die as his wild die. Yes. Well, and also I... Um... I built the Jaguar people with 18 dice compared to Mini 6's standard 12 dice. Yes. So they were heavy hitters. Yes. So we were rolling three dice. To my six. To his six. That's yeah. my fault. He learned from me with the swingles. I did. Anyway, let's talk about uh, fate. Um, now, Aaron, you said that it was not your favorite <laughs> mechanical. No, I really don't mind the mechanic. He just hated his dice. I hated the way everything was rolling tonight. Because I don't think I succeeded. No, I succeeded on rolling the rock out of the way, which I didn't need to do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think that's the only success I had tonight. So you were the jock. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Your your, your dice were true to character. (laughs) Yes, they were. That's a committed committed player right there. All in all, I like the idea of the mechanic. That's about all I can say. I think if I had prepared better from a rule perspective and not a story perspective, I think that might have helped a little bit. But also, I think Fate is a game that gets better over multiple plays. Yeah, like I believe a, it. Like a short campaign, like you can really see things build up. Yeah. But it's a game that I've wanted to run as a campaign for a long time. There's so many games that you want to run as a campaign for a long time. And, and a lot and of this, ga- this commercial is, games out there are based off the Fate system. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is the game we've probably talked about the most yeah. and not played. Yeah. So, like, actually playing it was kind of a priority for this year to get a one shot in at one point or another. Yeah. So, yeah. It works really well for, like, street level superheroes and, like, mad scientist, pulpy adventure kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. They accelerate um, those, yeah. Yeah. The characters on the cover, like, you have a sky pirate who's also part cat, you have an avatar, the last airbender stand in, and then you have a Harry Potter stand in as well. So those are the kind of games that they want you to play with this yeah. system, generically speaking. Makes sense. And I love the building the bad guys in this. Like you build your regular your bad your main big bad as like an actual character sheet, mm-hmm. and then your small easy to get rid of bad guys are like Sky Shark. I'm a shark, vulnerable belly. Those are its That's aspects. aspects. <laughs> and then it's skilled. It's plus two at flying and biting. And minus two at anything that isn't flying or biting. <laughs> That's its entire skill yeah, block. I like it. And I, I love the approachability of that. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, that's pretty much it for the 2600 Club. You never got around to the 2600 Club part of the game. But <laughs> nope. <laughs> but we got around to the horror. Yeah, we did. I should have said at least one person needs like some sort of technical savvy. Kind of. Yeah, we had no idea. It was like, what are yeah. these wires? Up? I don't care. I don't know. Yeah. Did you? Did, My oh. response: Cut the line. Shoot the phone. Did you guys enjoy the uh, like the the horror aspects? I did. Oh yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed oh, yeah, the horror definitely. aspects of the the story. I wish they had come in an episode earlier. It was very hard because all of the horror stuff at the car happened before you got there. Yeah. And there was just the remains to find. Yeah. Which. Yeah, I mean, we didn't know what we were with, looking at. With numbers so, yeah. being technical, it just it's a pile of trunk junk. It's a pile of junk. There was a there was a Captain Crunch whistle sitting right there in the pile of junk. 
but you wouldn't have known what you were looking at. No, so no. I didn't. As a player, we would, yeah. would have. At that point, we would have. Yeah. yeah. Where was that? In when the car was shifted backwards. When I saw a pile of, of junk. A uh, bunch of stuff had rolled back. Y'all didn't see anything inside the car I did. Which, correct me if I'm wrong, that Captain Crunch whistle would have been misplaced out of time. Why? Happened in the 80s. No, 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 no. No? Yeah, this was in the 70s. The Captain Crunch whistle? Phone Freaking started early. Phone Freaking did, yeah. yeah. They developed the blue box to emulate the, the whistle. Hmm. Hmm. I just seem to remember when I was a kid seeing commercials advertising the Captain Crunch whistle in the, in the cereal box. And they might have brought it back. Yeah. yeah maybe, yeah. Because Phone Freaking started to die out because the exchanges got updated to more digital approaches rather than the tone-based system that they were using. Yeah, I feel like in Hackers, they weren't using the whistle. They were playing a tone, yeah. a different, like a series of tones. Yeah, the one guy had tone. his uh, tape recorder thing yeah. that he would play into the phone. And he would... To get free long-distance calls or whatever. Yep. And there is a phone freaker who goes by the name... He just passed away, but he went by the handle Joy Bubbles, and he had his name legally changed to Joy Bubbles. That's weird. Well, he, he was a very odd guy. Joy Bubbles actually was blind, and he had perfect pitch, so he could whistle the 2800 hertz huh. uh, call orally. Huh. That's and, pretty cool. And he would actually, he was in the newspaper several times because first time he, in college, he started making friends because he would whistle up free phone calls for them internationally and everything awesome. like that. And so when they found out, he, he was like, he got his hand slapped essentially. And then second time, he was looking for a job in Tennessee, oddly enough. And so he would call up the phone company to report problems. And then he would tell them all sorts of ridiculous things he was doing, attempting to get them to hack his phone so that then he could ask for a job. Uh And so that stereotypical hacker story of you find the flaws and then you, you exploit them and you get the job to patch them. Mm -hmm. He was doing that. He worked as a troubleshooter for several years. Hmm. So, but I do know that this series of episodes reminded me of another one shot that y'all did when I wasn't there. I just listened to Uh, with the televisions. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's very similar kind of feel to it. Honestly, I, I was, I've been thinking a lot about how technology is its own gateway to horror. Oh yeah. And I think that's a big theme for me right now for some reason. And I'm not quite sure why. But it's interesting, too, how most of that, uh, and just in contrast, most of that one-shot happened at night yes. in-game. In and all the horror of this one happened, like, Saturday morning. Yeah. Like, yeah. Daylight. But it was still very, very creepy. Very scary. Yeah. Very much some creep factor going on. Yeah. The, the interrupted telephone call was really creepy. Yeah. Yeah, the, um, the Captain Crunch whistle started to be released in boxes in the 1960s. Oh. oh, wow. Okay. All right, guys. All right. I think that's it for today. Yep. I'm going to have to try and think of more horror things that don't involve technology. <laughs> so maybe some more body horror. We've done other horror without technology, like Grin, the psych ward. Mm-hmm. That was Grin a fun was that was house. Yeah, that was good. That one and... Uh, Ooh, Ten Candles. Ten Candles. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the body horror I was yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking, like, you know, it goes through like a 20,000 leagues type story. Yeah. The telezombies were great. Telezombies. <laughs> All right, look, I'm putting a fork in it. It's done. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Bone Thrower's Theater. Thank you for listening to Bone Thrower's Theater. 
We are releasing this podcast under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. That means you can share the podcast, but please do not modify it or try to gain financially from it. If you would like to visit our website, you can do so at bonethrowerstheater.com. If you'd like to send us an email, you can do so at bonethrowerstheater at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle is bonethrowerstheater. You can also look us up on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And until next time, may the bones fall ever in your favor. This has been a Nerd Circle podcast production.